We're going to start by asking a few questions. And typically when people ask questions, they hope for responses. So, uh, yeah, do me that courtesy. How many of us have heard the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? What about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Who's heard the saying, a broke clock is right twice a day? You reap what you sow. More than likely, we've all heard these sayings. uh, We've all heard them. There are literally hundreds of these sayings that that come to our mind when we think uh, they're like little proverbs. They teach us things regarding life, right? They all have meaning and significance in our lives. Uh, In a way, they help guide us. But in our text today, we get a new saying to add to our list. See, in 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul gives us the saying of sayings. The saying that we see in our text today is a saying that brings dead people to life. This saying is the culmination of God's plan of redemption. What we are about to read is a saying that was first pointed to in Genesis 3.15. And it sees its completion in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, uh, in, in a vision that the Apostle John sees. And it reads, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, the verse that we're about to read is the saying. So stand with me, and let's read what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. It reads, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. You can be seated and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you literally, you you wrote these words to us for our instruction, for our benefit that we could know you, God, that we could know this plan of salvation, and and we're just so thankful for that. We pray, God, as we dive into this single verse this morning, uh, God, that that your name would be lifted high, that salvation uh, truly does belong to you, God, and that would be heralded well. God, I pray that you would help me uh, to say things that are true, uh, to be honest, and to be helpful. And we pray these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Before we get too far into our text, I know it's a lengthy text this morning, uh, I want to give you a little bit of context of the book of 1 Timothy. So obviously, as the name suggests, the book was written to Timothy. Uh, this is not uncommon for the Apostle Paul. He typically, the, the, the books are typically named uh, as the person that it was written to, or the people that it was written to, the church that it was written to. But in our case, it's written to Timothy. He's a young pastor in Ephesus, and Paul's writing to to Timothy in order to instruct him about the way the church should function. Who should lead the church, who should serve the church, and how all that can be done well. 
So Paul kind of lays out some guidelines uh, for the life of the local church. And while he's given this instruction, uh, Paul diverges a bit into his testimony. Into his testimony about his conversion and his calling. And so actually our verse finds its place in the middle of his testimony. And, and I would say this is because the gospel is the central aspect of both Paul's conversion to Christianity and his calling as a minister of the gospel. So as we're reading this verse, uh, we're being taught by Paul about the importance of the gospel. The gospel is central to our lives as Christians and to the life of the church. Because of the centrality of the gospel in our lives, we're going to meditate uh, on this saying that Paul gave us. And as we meditate on all that this verse or this saying has for us, I want to show you three aspects of consideration. Number one, the person of Christ. Number two, the purpose of Christ. Number three, the power of Christ. So here it is, right? We're going to look at who Christ is, the person of Christ. We're going to look at what Christ has done or what Christ does, the purpose of Christ. And finally, we're going to look at how Christ has done it. And after we consider these three aspects, I'll give you some implications or just some ways that you can follow through in obedience because of what Christ has done. Let's consider first the the person of Christ. Who is Christ Jesus? We really don't have to go much further than just Christ Jesus. Actually, the way that we typically refer to Christ Jesus, we typically refer to him as Jesus Christ. And because we use this language, we begin to associate Christ as Jesus' last name. That's not the case. His name is Jesus, but his title is Christ. Why does that matter? What significance does that hold uh, for our lives? What, what, what is important to make the distinction? Why is it important to make the distinction between his name and his title? See, making the distinction between Jesus' name and Jesus' title is crucial for understanding who Jesus, the person of Christ, is. The word Christ in the Greek, it means anointed one. This is the Old Testament equivalent to Messiah, the anointed one of Israel. There are certain priests, actually, in the book of, in the book of Leviticus. Many of us have read through that book, and we'll probably be there in a couple weeks, if we're being honest. And what you're going to notice is that there are priests in Leviticus who were anointed. Their being anointed just means that they're the high priest. The high priest was the priest who offered gifts and sacrifices to God on behalf of the sins of the people. Christ is the title that points to his priestly duties. He is the anointed high priest. I'll read from 1 Samuel 2.35. It says, Then I will raise up a faithful priest for myself. He will do whatever is in my heart and mind. I will establish a lasting dynasty for him. And he will walk before my anointed for all time. See, this verse is pointing us to the great high priest that we see in in the book of Hebrews. There's only one priest who will be anointed forever. There's only one priest whose heart and mind are completely in line with the heart and mind of God. And he is our high priest, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. Not only that, but Christ is a title that indicates that Jesus is God himself. He's the great I am that he claimed to be as John recorded in his gospel. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the lamb 
who was slain. Jesus was the anointed one who would bring salvation to everyone who believes in him. He is the Christ. Yeah, he's not only the Christ. See, he's also Jesus. And this is the name that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took upon himself when he took on flesh. In the incarnation where God becomes a man to dwell in the midst of mankind, Jesus is born a baby in a manger. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and given the name Jesus, which, as Matthew's gospel tells us, means he will save his people from their sins. So when Paul refers to him as Christ Jesus, it's almost as if he were saying the anointed one who will save his people from their sins. Christ Jesus, the Lord. This is the person of Christ. But Paul shows us more than just the person of Christ. He shows us the purpose of Christ. Right? So now we know who Christ is. He's the God man, the anointed savior. But what is his purpose? Why did he come? What does our text say? It says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But here it is. The purpose of Christ was to come into the world to save sinners. You see, many of us, we, we spend a large portion of our lives wondering what our purpose in life is. Uh, we often seek counsel and pray about who we will marry, if we will marry, what job we will have, where we'll go to school. Obviously, this list can go on and on. There are many things that, that, that consume our thoughts. What is my purpose in life? Right? We want to know what our purpose in life is. But the Son of Man did not come into the, into the world wondering what his purpose was. See, he knew his purpose was to save sinners. He knew the agony that, that his short life would hold. He knew that he would suffer. He knew that he came to die. And praise God, he came to save sinners. <laughs> Before we get ahead of ourselves, I, I, I want to hone in a moment on the fact that Christ Jesus came to us. The incarnation where God becomes a man. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's, it's awesome. Literally full of awe. I would have said awful, but that gives the wrong connotation, right? <laughs> but it's not uncommon, right? It's not uncommon for God to, to do this kind of thing. And sometimes we think about the incarnation uh, as something different than what we've seen from God in the past, but it's not. Have you noticed that God desires to dwell with his people? It's all over the scriptures. Let's think back to the garden. Uh, where everything was in perfect harmony. Who was in the garden? Adam, Eve, and God. He was dwelling with his people. Or, or let's think back to Israel's time in, in the wilderness. They were dwelling in tents, and where was God? Exodus 25, 8 tells us where God was as we read about uh, their instructions for constructing the tabernacle. The verse reads, They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. See, God was intending to dwell with his people. Or, or Ezekiel 37, 27, which says, My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then, of course, we have the culmination of God's dwelling with us that, that Pastor Trell taught on last week. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily in the baby who was laid in a manger. 
He was fully God and fully man when he dwelled with his creation. And he's fully God and fully man as he sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. But when he made his first advent or his first arrival, he did so to save sinners. (laughs) It's so good to know that God was pleased to step into time and space to take on the form of a man and die in the place of sinners to bring salvation. Isn't it good to know, church, that Christ died for your sins? This is our hope. This, the, the reason we're gathered this morning is because Christ Jesus came into the world taking on the body of a man. He lived a, a life without sin. He died in place of sinners. He was wrapped in clothes and laid in a tomb. And three days later, praise be to his name, he rose from the dead. He crushed the head of the serpent and broke the curse that was on his people. Y'all, if that ain't good news, I don't know what is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he's, and, and he's still saving sinners. In fact, if you don't know Christ this morning, uh, he's willing to save you. Uh, John writes that, that uh, he, he will not cast out anybody who comes to him. Anybody who comes to him. This can be good news for you. <laughs> We've seen the purpose of Christ. Uh, that was, it, it was to come into the world to save sinners. And he's done it. He's still doing it. And implicit in, in this verse is our last aspect for consideration. The power of Christ. How has Christ accomplished his purpose of coming into the world to save sinners? When Paul wrote to the Romans, he, he noted, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and also to the Greek. This gospel, this good news, is the power of God for salvation. And what is the good news except the perfect life, the death for sinners, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus himself? Let's consider all of these. Let's consider his, his perfect life. Jesus never sinned. He never once broke the law of God. By a sinless life, he has counted those who believe in him as righteous. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. It says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen closely. The only reason God is pleased when he looks at you is because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ if you've believed in him. What about his death for sinners? He has saved sinners by his blood. The scriptures tell us in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In his death, the shedding of his blood, he's conquered death for those who trust in him. Those who are in Christ will not taste death as those apart from Christ surely will. The sting of death is gone. Christ has conquered. What about his burial? See, his burial points to the ending of the old man for the one who believes. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and see, the new has come. Just as Jesus' broken body was laid in the tomb, so we are broken and dead in our sin. But praise be to him. Those who trust in Christ have been renewed in Christ. See, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, his body wasn't broken. He was not disfigured. He was whole again. And so the same could be said for those who trust in Christ. We have been made new. We're whole. 
We've been spiritually renewed. And of course, his resurrection from the dead. His resurrection is proof that that God the Father was pleased with the work of the Son. He has bought our redemption with the gospel. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Russ shared a story from the book of Esther. I'm going to share it again. And it's because the Bible is good and we can, you know, we can't hear it too much. That was last year. So we're going to hear it again. It's relevant for us. See, what happens in the, in the book of Esther is there's this uh, image of acceptance. Right? And I think it's related to God's acceptance uh, of Christ and his resurrection. See, in the book of Esther, uh, there comes a time when Esther has to go before the king to save her people. I have no idea why this is the case, but if you go before the king unsummoned, you could die. And this was the case even for Queen Esther. Even for the queen, she could die. And so she goes before the king, uh, trembling, I'm sure. The, the hope in going before the king, of course, is to have the scepter of acceptance extended to you. If he extends ex- his scepter toward you, uh, then you're safe, you're good, you're allowed to be in his presence. And so I submit to you that, that when Christ was raised from the dead, God was extending his scepter of acceptance toward his son, saying, you are my beloved son, the savior of the world. And listen to this, church. If Christ was accepted, then those who have trusted in Christ have that same scepter of, accept, uh, of acceptance extended to them. We are accepted before the one true God because of the finished work of Christ. Church, He's accomplished it. He's done it. Christ is all and in all. He's our only hope in life and in death. Trust in him. As Pastor Trell said, trust in him this year. So here's what we've looked at so far. We, we, we've seen the person of Christ. That he is the God-man. The anointed Savior. We've seen the purpose of Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners. We've seen the power of Christ, that by his perfect life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he has secured salvation for those who trust in him. What do we do with all this? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I have four implications, four things uh, that this saying means for the church. Let's consider each implication for a, few moment, for a few moments. Number one, it is what makes the church. Why do we gather? Like, why did you get up this morning, get dressed, climb in your car, and drive here? It's because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The church is this called-out assembly. It's the people of God. And so we gather because Christ Jesus, by his perfect life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, uh, not only saved us from our sin, but it saved us into a people. The Christian life was never meant to exist outside of the church. I don't mean the, the building, though that's part of it. We're not called to be an independent people. No, we're called to be a people who hold one another up when someone is struggling. We're called to be a people who confess sin to one another. 
We're called to bear one another's burdens. In short, church, we love one another. The church is the body of Christ, and he is the head of the church. We have been, we have been brought into the fold of God. If we have trusted in Christ for our salvation, then we are no longer citizens of this world, but we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom and members of the church established by the work of Christ. But our saying uh, doesn't only make the church, it is the message of the church. See, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote these words. Listen, he wrote these words to the church at Corinth. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the central message of the church. And this message, the very saying we've been looking at, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that is the message of the church. In John 5.39, Jesus tells us the scriptures are all about Him. All of them. Uh, since this is true, we can, uh, we can really only gather around one message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Every passage from the Old Testament, every passage from the New Testament should point us, does point us. Every sermon preached should point us to Christ Jesus Himself, who is our only hope. So we know this saying is what makes the church. We know that our saying is the message of the church, but it's also the mission of the church. Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples in Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, in that passage, is giving the church its mission. The mission of the church is to take our saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners to all nations, to all people. The mission of the church is to baptize uh, new disciples into the church. The mission of the church, in short, is to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. Preach the gospel. That's our goal. Preach the gospel. For how can one believe what he's not heard? See, the mission of the church is to take the message of the church to the nations in order to see the church grow by the grace of God. So it's not only, our saying is not only what makes the church, it's not only the message of the church, it's not only the mission of the church. Uh, finally, it's for the members of the church. What I mean is that the gospel is the message that strengthens the church. I had a friend once say, you never graduate from the gospel. There is no second step. There is nothing more important for the church uh, than the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel changes our hearts, it shapes our worship, and it gives us the hope of heaven. The gospel is for the members of the church. What I also mean is that the gospel is for the members of the church to share. I'll give you another saying. Sharing is caring. <laughs> uh, when it comes to the gospel, that saying, sharing is caring, finds its deepest meaning. And here's why. 
We show our love to our lost neighbor when we share the gospel with them. We show our love to our lost family member when we share the gospel with them. Let's not forget, though, we show our love to our brothers and sisters in Christ when we remind them of the gospel. It holds us up. (laughs) The gospel is for the members of the church to share. It's what makes the church. It's the message of the church. It's the mission of the church. And it's for the members of the church. See, church, there is no saying more important for us uh, to know and learn from than that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we see the person of Christ, we see the purpose of Christ, and the, and the power of Christ. And because of it, the church exists with a message and a mission for all the members to share. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, God, that, that the Apostle Paul got right to the point when he, wrote these, uh, when he wrote this saying. We pray, God, that it would strengthen us as we go forward, as we start the new year, uh, finding our resting place in you, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that we would, uh, we would be marked by it. God, that we would share it. God, that we would hold one another up by it. Father, we pray for all of these things. In the name of your precious son, Jesus, amen.